this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Good evening, Mark. How are you doing, buddy? Good. It's been kind of a crazy day, but uh, it's the end of the day. It's time to talk some reef, which yes. is always a good way to end a day for me. Yeah, we would like to have a special session on just really discussing the the place and the importance of reef aquarium events, frag swaps, conferences, um, just kind of spotlighting that Reef Stock Denver is going to be happening in Denver in a month. And we've been able to um, really put a lot of effort into it for the last two years because we didn't have it last year. And um, man, we've been having the show since 2008. Uh, it's just a really fun show that uh, focuses on all the best parts of Reef Aquarium events, which we'll get into later. But in the meantime, if you want to do some multitasking, head on over to reefstock.show for more information and learn about the speakers and the companies that'll be there. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk more about the events, but we're going to start it off as usual with uh, what's going on with our tanks. Small talk. Yeah. Uh, you want to start or you want me to start? Um, I mean, I can go ahead because uh, I just uh, completed, uh, a, you know, it's a personal challenge, not necessarily a community challenge of building up a micro reef. First of all, I take offense to the word micro because that's bigger than nano, <laughs> but I'm, I'm showcasing it as the smallest reef tank possible. So internally, I'm calling it the plank reef. So some, those of you who follow cosmology or uh, field quantum field theory, you'll know that the plank length is the smallest possible length, uh, you know, in our world. And so I'm like, all right, this is the plank reef. This is as small as it gets before it's just like you know, not really practical. First of all, this tank is not practical. Um, and so just to take it from the top, it's uh, built like BMW Custom. And instead of being a very, very, very small all-in-one nano tank, it is more of a miniaturization of a typical reef tank. So it's got a it's reef ready, right? So it's got a tank with an internal uh, overflow box, drain box. Uh, it's got a little stand and inside the stand is a sump. And just so happens that the one I received was customized with the reef therapy logo. Thank you very much, Harley. Um, it, it's not absolutely, you know, so I, 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 we just put out the video today. It's doing really, really well. If you want to see all about that tank, go to the Reef Builders channel. Um, that video has hit the ground running. You know, dare I say it's viral, but um, it is not for everyone. It is not an easy tank to work on. It is probably going to be a challenge to keep up. But as a longtime reefer, this is the smallest tank I've ever set up. And it's 40 ounces. So we could call it the 40 ouncer. We could call it the micro reef. We could call it the plank reef. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. Also just kind of using some critical thinking to um, manage the temperature, manage the salinity, and trying to be very considerate about what corals to put in it. And it turned out really awesome. 
it's actually super strange to walk by. It's been done for 24 hours to walk by it and see a few small SPSs in there. <laughs> you know, some thin branches of Monopora, some thin branches of Anacropora. Like, you know, a jar with some zoanthids or some shrooms or a little bit of cyphastria. All right, whatever. But when I see the branches, I'm just like, that's weird. In a tank that small, it's just, it's a little surprising. Yeah, I think the smallest I've ever gone is five gallons, maybe, maybe, maybe less. I don't know. But what you're talking about is tiny. <laughs> um, but it's a good challenge, right? It's it's definitely a tank that will probably require a lot of um, attention, not a lot of time necessarily, but just, you know, keeping chat, mm-hmm. keeping tabs yes. on the salinity and uh, the temperature and all that fun stuff. But that's a good challenge. Yeah, you know, uh, I was able to make a few, you know, improvements right off the bat. So it had two drains and um, it was just sucking air, right? And just the kind of bubbling inside the sump, which is causing some salt spray, some salt water spray that was mostly contained uh, by the included lid. And, um, but it was, you know, it was audible. So I just put like, uh, you know, some thin silicone on one of the drains, which caused the other one, you know, the chamber to kind of flood up. And now it's just right at the perfect level where it's got a continuous siphon uh, relative to the water draining and uh, just immediately was silent. It worked the first time. You know, I was talking to Evan yesterday when we finished it. It's like, how how often do you like DIY something? It just works perfectly better than you expected the first time. Anytime you DIY stuff. Uh, usually it's like a lot of finessing kind of back and forth, you know, it never turns out exactly like you had in your mind. Yeah. I watched the video. I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed uh, the update on the, um, the rimless tank that you've got the Fox coral and the bubble mm-hmm. coral in. Uh, that was fun to, to watch. Um, yeah. You know, um, like I said, it w- like I said in the video, it would have been super easy to just put one coral in there that just kind of fit the tank. But I really wanted to channel my inner bonsai gardener and try to make it look more like a reef, but in miniature. And again, I'll just say it so many times. This is absolutely not a beginner tank. Um, You'll really want to keep it in like a sheltered part of your home or wherever you keep it. And But just like I discussed with the continuous siphon drain on the third of a gallon reef tank, um, between that, the salinity, the temperature, and managing the mineral balance either through water changes or by kind of boosting the uh, evaporated water that goes into the tank, I feel like it, it really is an exercise, right? So if I did, if I taught a class in reefing, like officially at university, this would be a project. Because it's a challenge. And if you can keep a third of a gallon tank going with some stony corals, right? We don't want to overload it. Um, some of these concepts are really going to sink in. Yeah, I think it's a good, um, what is it? Um, when you boil stuff down to the fundamentals, right? And distillation. Then distillation of, of reef keeping, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that might be a good exercise for somebody that wants to um, I guess do that. I mean, again, I wouldn't have it as like your primary tank. No, it's no, It's just no, no. something that you wanted to do for fun as a challenge with some frags that you, you know, um, sacrificial frags as I would call them because you have, you know, a healthy thriving tank that you can kind of pluck from. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of a cool thing to do. Um, I've always been fascinated by the vases that people are doing. 
Uh, I follow some of those. Um, I think Randy Donowitz on Facebook, like he's got some of his students keeping like a little Aptasia jar, (laughs) Mm. you know, and I thought that's really cool. Um, But just the whole, I mean, I've always been fascinated by little microcosms, right? Like Mm the, um, or the, the glass things that had the um had oh, the hawaiian the shrimps in there the, the ecospheres, ecospheres. Yeah. yeah that stuff just always fascinated me and i always thought it'd be you know back then it was all just in magazines but it would have been a fun challenge to see how long people could keep them running because i had heard of people keeping them going for like two years which oh, is no, crazy I've heard people keeping them a lot longer really yeah yeah those uh, i haven't seen one in a long time but yeah those are really cool and it's funny because you know these those kind of products are marketed as an educational tool, you know, because everything educational gets a pass. Um, but they really are, right? You have a little bit of algae and a little bit of shrimp. You need to put it in some light, but not too much light so it doesn't get too hot or the algae doesn't overgrow. And the shrimps themselves could, uh, you know, reproduce. And I can't remember the exact number, but I remember hearing some astounding figures attached to those ecospheres. So, that's what I'm up to. I'm actually making a tiny bit of progress in the 400-gallon tank. My plan is to have it um, at least like version 1.0 scaped um, in time for reef stock. And I won't be married to that aquascape because I feel like there's still a lot to learn. So it's funny to be working on a 40-ounce aquarium at the same time I'm working <laughs> on a 400-gallon aquarium. You know, I, we talked about this a couple of sessions ago. Um, I got that 60-breeder uh, from Aquion. Uh, I got it from Petco, but it's by Equion. And so now I got the sump and, you know, it's just, it's just time. And I, I tell a lot of people, you know, especially if you have multiple tanks, it's an exercise in restraint as an Aquarius, as a hobbyist, it's just so easy to set up that next tank, but sometimes you get overstretched. And so it yeah. took a special kind of reservation not to set up that tank so I could focus on the ones that I have. But now the only thing that'll make my current tanks better is getting corals out of them, right? I'm tired of my staghorns hitting the surface. I'm not going to keep um, grafting them to each other. Now I'm just like, all right, little each little atoll of you know a tip hitting the surface is just pushing me towards like, all right, let's get these guys in a 30 inch deep tank with tons of flow, tons of room, and see what they can really do. So, I'm more motivated than ever to finally complete that 400. Nice. Looking forward to that. And you have some tanking happening in your life, correct? Yeah. So, you know, my probably my favorite fish on, well, that I can afford. Let me put it that way. Because <laughs> my, my, my holy grail fish I cannot afford. But um, is, is the regal angel. And I had one, obviously, I, I, we've talked about this before. But I've had one for many, many years that eventually passed. And, you know, he was pretty big. And I was pretty bummed when he passed. So, um. I'm back to keeping one, right? But I got a juvie from uh, TSM. And um, I am always willing to risk corals with angels, right? And then just, okay, I won't keep the corals that they like to peck. So with the other guy, I just had to give up on zoanthids and I believe suspicularia, you know, and xenia. But, um, That's not a big sacrifice. Yeah, I, I can live with all out all three of those. This guy's a little pecker, man. Um, mm. And I mean that literally. Like he's oh, <laughs> he's not really like um, taking chunks out of corals, but he just irritates the crap out of them. He's just sampling the menu. <laughs> yeah, and he's very indiscriminate. Um, and 
the good part of it is that he does it just kind of randomly and I would probably have never have noticed unless I had put my tank back into the busier part of the house where I can actually mm. just sit in front of it, respond to some emails, look at my tank and I can watch it. Um, so I started to figure out one, my large leather, he's, he's taking polyps out of it. Um, but the thing that kind of bummed me out is um, I just came to the conclusion, like I, I took some chances with this guy, right? I had a trachophilia in there. I had some uh, micromusas in there, um, blastomusa. He leaves the blastos alone, but um, I I took the trackies and stuff out and they were like, okay, you know, they're just kind of hanging. But as soon as I put them in my smaller prop, you know, quarantine tank, they just, after a few days, went back to their big fleshy glory. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the only uh, solution in that situation is to get another tank. So, <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, it'd be kind of fun in the basement where I'm at right now to... That's, um, the, o- that's the only choice. That's the yeah. only choice there is. Get another tank. I'm sure somebody's like, get rid of the angel. I was like, no, nah, that's not a solution. Um, so I don't mind that upstairs tank being softy dominant with a fish that I really am passionate about, right? So, but... Um, so I, I did order a, a shallow, like frag style tank for the basement and I just, I'll put all my fleshy stuff in there and kind of make it like a, a little lagoon, you know, like, like low flow, let them all, you know, and then just stuff that <laughs> the angel takes a liking to ends up there. So, um, so that'll be fun. It'll, it'll take me a while to set it up, uh, you know, and gather all the parts and pieces and get it going. And then the other fun part is that I could probably set up my laptop and mic in front of it so that people don't always have to stare at my couch. Fun. <laughs> you well, know, it's, every it's a nice couch. It's a really nice couch. <laughs> yeah, I love those couch, pillows. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> but, you know, just to change the scenery on occasion, because I don't do it upstairs because the only... My kids are noisy, right? Nobody wants to listen to kids in the background while they're trying to get their moment of zen with a podcast. So, Unless it's a parenting podcast. There you go, yeah. <laughs> um, the other stuff, uh, I think I wrote some stuff down. Oh, I, um, I really inspected uh, my clams back in the day for uh, mm. pyramid snails. And, you know, I didn't find any. And, I, you know, I get out like a magnifying la- a glass and I just go, you know, I was really scrut- scrutinizing them. Can um, you describe what pyramid snails are for those listeners who might not be familiar? Yes. So pyramid from the pyramidalidae. Uh, it's a mouthful. I've never yeah. gotten my tongue around it. Um, they're like these, uh, and they're named that because their their shells are like those those long cone, conical kind of shells. But AKA they are rice snails. They look like little grains of rice. Yes, they're, tiny. they're very tiny, and they're um, they're ectoparasites basically that feed on mollusks. So they feed on clams. They feed on your snails, um, and they're so obviously they're not a good thing. And they usually are problematic for clam keepers, and they they oh, usually yeah. come in on left wild unchecked. Clams. Your clams are done. Yeah, and and if you buy like clams from you know clam farms and wild clams, like odds are you're gonna have to look for them. But um, so but what was weird is uh, and I texted Jake a picture the other day. Um, one of my um, astria snails was just astria snails. Yes. Um, was on the front glass and just you know munching away and i just noticed he was covered in pyramid snails and I was this like, little ring of yeah. rice beard just all around the orifice so yesterday i i don't have a lot of snails i went and hunted down every snail in my tank 
and put them in a bucket and went to town with a stiff brush and got all the pyramid snails off of them. And then I took my clam out. And ironically, my clam was spotless. Um, mm. I did as a, I have uh, like a sort of crushed coral bed. So I scooped up the crushed coral that the clam was resting in and just kind of replaced it with some fresh uh, substrate thinking maybe they're in the substrate underneath or one fell off while I picked up the clam. I'm sure I didn't get rid of all of them, uh, but it's a start. And then um, I, I, I've i been wanting to get um, – I, I know there are better wrasses, uh, and that's another thing if you're not familiar with pyramid snails. A lot of wrasses are really good predators for them. Um, and I know some wrasses are definitely better than others, yellow chorus, leopard wrasses. Uh, but I've been meaning to replace my mystery ras that mysteriously went <laughs> missing uh, a while back when I was on a two-week vacation. Um, so I figure he'd be a good predator as well for them, and he's the kind, he's he's more of the kind of ras I'd like to keep. Um, so I ordered one of those guys to hopefully keep so things in check. Leopard rasses are in the Macropharyngodon genus. Their name literally means throat teeth. And they are the predator of like small snails and stuff like that because they pull them in their mouth and they crush them inside their uh, throat. And um, in the past, I've used leopard wrasses for that purpose. Spring eye damselfish will not eat flatworms. Dragon paste pipefish will not eat red bugs. Leopard wrasses are evolutionarily engineered to eat those small snails. Now, on one occasion, I had leopard rest to some clams to a clam tank, and um, it was just instantaneous. And I didn't want to let my guard down, but every time I added a new clam, he would look all around it, just like nonstop, always searching. Like they were going to come out of the clam, right? The fish doesn't know any better. Um, but that is just, that's to me, that's almost like a one and done solution for rice snails. Unless you have a huge tank, you know, where the, the leopard grass has so much territory to cover they might not find all of them but yeah that's a that's an easy fix i don't i don't you would think in theory that the micro hogfish that is the mystery grass would take care of it but leopard grass oh yeah that's that's yeah, the ticket I, I was on the hunt for i mean because i i love leopard grasses but i want one that's quarantined um and they're poor shippers to begin with right so one that's um been through a good quarantine and is eating whatever the the mm. store that quarantines is feeding them, then I would definitely uh, get one. I just at that this week, for example, I couldn't find a quarantined one. Um, and then I saw a mystery ass come up that was fully quarantined. I thought, yeah, okay, you know, I'll try that mm. guy. If another, if a leopard pops up, I may or get him. But according to the literature, but who knows, right? I, I did read I up. I think that we're going to be revisiting this topic where you talk about getting oh, the mystery, mystery rats didn't do it put them in the tank and you still see the pyramid snails and then you're gonna get a leopard grass so i feel like you're gonna go down this this road anyway um but yeah that's actually part of what makes reefing fun is is finding out what works yeah. obviously you never want to find parasites in your tank but oh my goodness if there's any pi parasite that's just like super easy to deal with right snails are it but for any of you guys that are having troubles with giant clams or or have in the past this is like the ick of of clams of bivalves you have to be familiar with it um i can suggest a few good books daniel knopp's uh giant clam book and then james fathery's giant clam books um they'll put you on the right path yeah i and and they're i honestly think there's fairly easy to tackle because if you're if you're just a motivated enough reefer to go 
check all your snails and brush them clean on, you know, do that a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with your they clams. are macro, right? It's not like tiny yeah. little expores that can get through yeah. a micron filter or whatever. Um, and it's not like an infection. If you get them all and their egg masses, you know, for sure. But for me, like the silver bullet, because we don't have that many in the aquarium hobby, is for sure leopard wrasse. But I really feel like there's still a – you have another high-tech, you know, high-energy uh, SPS tank in your future. I feel that in my bones, you know. You've had so many great examples in the past. I'm excited to see what you do. And actually, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I already I made you a frag of the hoaxamai. I've been talking about it for a while, but yeah. I a perfect branch that was – uh, slightly shaded growing under the main part of the colony. So it's like got three or four branchlets, glued it down, gonna, gonna condition and groom that guy for a while. And when the weather gets a little warmer, we'll, we'll send you a, a care package. Yeah. I think the, where I'm at right now is probably because, um, you know, you start out in the hobby and you're keeping like beginner corals and then you advance a little bit. And then, I mean, right when I think we were getting started, they were solving the riddle of SPS a bit more, and they were becoming- Are they possible uh, to keep alive? Yeah, and then all of a sudden we got maricultured from the Solomon Islands, and so I just went full, you know, headfirst into SPS, and I did keep mixed reefs for a long time, but I mean, my primary thing was like, I want to keep SPS corals, and I felt like I kind of missed out on some things, and it just- Take the video you posted today, for example. I've never kept a uh, fox coral, right? I've never kept um, a lot of these LPS corals. Uh, I never kept an elegance just because I, you know, back in the day, they were like, uh, you know, they're not going to stay alive. Don't even well, try. They are a double-edged sword. If they yeah. do well, they get so big so yeah. fast. The fox coral is not much of a stinger. You know, it doesn't have those tentacles. But elegance coral, like, kind of have to be invested in growing a show specimen as big and puffy and fluffy as it could possibly be. Yeah, I'm just, it's kind of fun going back through. And we talked to this on like a podcast in the past about fish we've never kept that just mm. are commonplace, but you just never got around harlequin to it. Harlequin tusk. You know? Yeah. For <laughs> I still, example, I still need a harlequin tusk. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's where I'm at. Um, cool. Well, I'm glad that you're not getting burned out by reading no. Like so many of our listeners and viewers, it is becoming uh, you know, a nice companion to their uh, aquarium routines. I was incredibly surprised to see the responses on our previous session on aquarium maintenance. Almost two hours long. I thought it would be the driest, you know, least <laughs> yeah. popular topic possible. And, but there were several comments to the tune of, um, I paused the top, the, I paused the podcast and went and worked on my tank and fixed this and fixed this and fixed this and then came back and listened to the rest. I'm like, yes, that is the entire point. Um, so yeah, I just really want to thank the community for, uh, their response. You know, um, there's a lot of ways to consume aquarium content, pictures, reading, videos, and we're just glad to be a small part of that community. Um, but if you want to help out a little bit, well, we have merch in the Reef Builder store. We have, you can rate us on your favorite podcatcher. And don't forget to comment and tell us, you know, what you're thinking and your, your, uh, response in general to the podcast on YouTube. Um, I generally save that for the end. So I figured it's a uh, stick it in here in the middle now. No. And I, I mean, not to be a shill, but, uh, 
they're good t-shirts, you know? Like, I'm pretty picky about my t-shirts. I hate those, yeah, like, Gildan t-shirts, you know, like, that you get. They're just, they're crap. Um, they're good quality, nice, soft t-shirts. So, uh, definitely, uh, definitely a nice upgrade. Okay. So, before we dive into the, um, you know, the main topic of this session, we have to talk about um, the issues that salt manufacturers face and what's bringing this to the front right now is the Turkish blend of Pro Reef by Tropic Marin. Um, two things that I want to front load this discussion with is, um, one, every manufacturer has had this problem, right? If you're, if you're blending salt, that salt comes from a chemical supply manufacturer and they're getting it you know we're talking mostly about sodium chloride because that is usually you know not usually <laughs> is the vast majority of the elements that it constitute a seawater mix that comes from a mine you know sodium chloride salt that comes from a mine so there's all kinds of contaminants that can arise um but two actually let me finish that first point every company has had this issue at some point or another, um, though I'm not going to name names. I'm just going to say like every single one of them um, has in the past or periodically experiences these lapses in quality. And two, kind of the irony here is that Tropic Marin was always the fallback. If you had problems with salt, because I've seen it happen with all the other brands, it was always like, okay, switch to Tropic Marin for a while because that is just, you know, certifiable, clean, awesome. And maybe it's just a sign of the growth that Tropic Marin's experienced, in, at least in their salt division and how popular it's gotten all over the world, that they had to expand production and open up a or, you know, outsource the salt to a Turkish uh, manufacturer. I don't know if they own it or subcontracted, but the point is um, the pro reef formula specifically. So not the classic reef uh, sea salt, nor the bioactive. It's just the pro reef version um, started having some issues. And some of these are just hard to, to pin down. They're hard to pin down. Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, you said it, uh, and I was thinking it before we even got started. You know, I, I look at it as growing pains for a company that's been very consistent. Um, I use Tropic Marin Pro, um, Coral Pro, or Pro Reef, whatever it's called, Reef Pro. I don't know, uh, but I—that's the—that is the brand. I should know the name because that's all I use. I buy it at full retail at my local fish store. I was an Instant Ocean customer for pretty much most of my life, and then I switched just because I—I liked how consistent and clean it was, right? Um, I, I guess two things for me is one is, uh, I, I now there's people, you know, on the forums that have lost a lot of corals and we're talking like a high monetary value and that's tough, right? Because I, you know, you put your trust in a brand as being the most consistent um, and so you feel a bit burned and I can certainly empathize with those people for... I guess the rest of us that are kind of like, well, do I switch salts? One, to your point, it's not like you can get away from the problem, the potential problem or risk by switching brands. And my opinion is after this uh, event, I would I would argue that Tropic Marin will be even more consistent and probably be the better choice, right? 
Um, like I work they in, are not going to let this happen again anytime soon. No, you think know, about the scrutiny their watch. and quality control that has just amped up on their on their end, right? Um, like I work in cybersecurity, and like when a like a retailer like Target got hacked, right? I'm like, after that happened, Target's probably the safest place to use your credit card, right? Because Amen. there's because they're Amen. spending a crap ton of money trying to figure out and and trying to you know ensure it never happens again. Yeah. So. Except Sony, for some yeah. reason, their stuff gets hacked all the time. Whether it's just any one of their digital services store, they get hacked all the time. They don't fix it. But yes, you're totally right. Um, it's, you know, you do things business as usual and you assume that everything will be all right. Um, but to my big surprise, this might be the only time that a company's ever even acknowledged a problem. I would agree. Again, um, I don't want to name names of other companies, but every company's had a problem and they always do damage control, try to sweep it on the rug. Sometimes, you know, they um, will try to negotiate with, uh, you know, affected reefers who might be make a lot of noise online to keep things quiet. But I feel like the, we've, we've got two statements now from Tropic Marin. One was on Saturday. One is today. I don't know if it's come out yesterday yet, but we were able to post it late last night on Reef Builders. I don't know if any, I can't remember any company actually um, addressing this head on. And it's really hard to diagnose certain issues, right? Because everybody, <laughs> everybody like turns to ICP like it's just an absolute test, but it only measures elements. It's not going to tell you anything about organic compounds. Right. Those are going to be obliterated down to their elements by the plasma in the ICP machine. Right. And, um, like, I do believe that there have been a couple cases in this, um, episode where ICB tests have revealed high levels of iron and manganese. Normally, those are actually beneficial contaminants to a certain degree. This is some, something that people attribute to, uh, Europeans have no problem growing flower pots all this time, but we haven't because we didn't have those, uh, enriched, uh, manganese levels. Um, but, uh, the other thing with iron and manganese is they can quickly get absorbed by your corals and your rock and your sand, you know, it might be too much. And so you might send that sample away and the iron is already completely absorbed by your tank and it's not showing up in the results, but just because your corals absorbing, it doesn't mean it's good for them. Right. It's just it's binding a, it's to a minerals. Target, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really tough one. But, um, I was actually super impressed. Um, and kind of surprised that Tropic Marin in their second statement said that they believe that the problem traces back to April. Not that they knew since April, right? That's a really important distinction. They've just kind of been looking backwards um, at maybe comments from from users. And I feel like that was a really uh, courageous thing to do because, uh, you know, so many people are going to come out of the woodwork and be like, oh, if you knew your salt was bad for half a year, why blah, blah, blah. You, know, you, you, can, you can fill in the blanks of the haters and the flamers. Yeah, the only open-ended question, I'm sure they'll get, you know, I mean, it's it's only been a couple of days, like, you know, let's give them time. But they talked about the the brown residue in the clay, which is actually quite common in a lot of salts. I think it's used for, um, it's from like those um, sodium chloride mines. It's like an anti-caking or something. I don't know. But some of the users that I see on the forums are complaining that the bucket has a different smell and it's very citrusy. And I... And the ones that have had issues with their coral, I, I mean, I might be wrong about this, but those were the ones that were sort of commenting about that. 
So I'm kind of curious, is that the clay itself as well, like that you're smelling or I just haven't heard them really address that, that citrusy, like I would be kind of weirded out if I opened up a bucket and it had like a citrus like smell, you know, I'd be kind of. Actually, that's one of the things that drew me to Red Sea salt back in the day. It has. You'd open it up. Well, a lot of salts would, you know, they have that mm, chemical feel, not necessarily yeah. smell, but there's just, it's a, it's usually that magnesium chloride that's uh, exothermic and it just kind of burns the nose or burns the hands a little bit. For some reason, red sea salt just smelled kind of fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not how salt should be. And I'm not sure if that's, that stands today, but, um, yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't know. You know, I'm just curious about that. Uh, I never really saw an explanation on why that could potentially be. Um, and maybe chemists can chime in or something. I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of peculiar. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to stop using it. So, Did you check to make sure? All right. Just to also to be clear, this was only um, batches made in Turkey, which are clearly labeled on the box, which is what helped reefers um, first identify that there was a problem with these specific batches. That's how I got the name of Turkish blend. Um, did you check your box to make sure it wasn't made in Turkey? Yeah, so um, they had. Remember when you couldn't find it anywhere uh, for no. a while? No. Nope. Oh well, here in here in my neck of the woods, like none of the stores could get it. Uh, it was sold out at Bulk Reef Supply and other vendors. So I switched to the Blue Bucket for a while, and then one day I just randomly went into uh, my local fish store, and they had a bunch of the buckets. And this was before that whole it, before the Turkish plant went online. So I bought like. I think I bought like three buckets of the German stuff. Again, I didn't know about German Turk or anything. So I, I checked and they're all German. And But again, I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I'm not necessarily going to go buy a box of the, as you call it, the Turkish blend. But um, I, I'm still going to be a customer there. It's just because I, I, I'm, like you said, it, it's not like I'll avoid the issue necessarily with a different vendor. And I feel like their quality control probably went up 10 notches after mm -hmm. this incident. Mm -hmm. um, it, this, you know, th the only thing I feel like they should do better is do a proper recall. They right? are, you, they, right? They're doing it like an exchange. Um, mm, I guess I haven't seen all that. They've just told people not to use those boxes and that future boxes will only be shipped from Germany. So the recall portion might be a little bit quieter, but they should maybe it'll be a little bit more insistence like do not use turkish made um pro reef salt um yeah they're um if you well the latest message is that you can exchange it uh, or get a credit or something like that like yeah that's a recall they're just going they're doing everything except calling it a recall but you know two things one it takes a again a lot of humility to lay down your problems in front of the world to see and Two, you know, what's interesting about this is if Tropic Marin is, is fully transparent with what they discover, the problem they're having is not unique to them, right? It's going to be something that could be, you know, the source cause of problems we've seen with other salts, right? So if they're fully transparent and say what happened and say what was the root and what was the cause, that might instruct and inform all manufacturers on things to do and not do. Um, to avoid, because you know, you've heard it, you've heard it before for 10, 15 years. Oh, I just did a water change, and it's usually SPS that show first, polyps attracted, a very unusual, you know, um, uh, die back from the tips, um, and and sometimes also the bases, just like a weird style of erosion um, or recession. 
And you, when you hear those those symptoms, you and I, we automatically go, oh, yeah, that must be a salt problem. Um, I think the only you know company that I, I'll put on, on notice was uh, Aqua, was it Aquacraft that had the problem or Crystal Sea Marine Mix? That was one of the first. I, mean, like, I could name a few, but I. No, you know, you, I'm talking about. I like, won't. <laughs> in the heydays of Reef Central. Oh, yeah. Um, Crystal Sea Marine Mix, I think it was. Yeah, I think no, Ron Schimmick was. It was not Everybody Sorry, to them, right? Wasn't <laughs> oh, it? Is that now? I think it was Dr. Ron Schimmick was pushing everybody to Crystal Seas. I remember, yes. Yeah. Now there was someone who was just like, I don't know, just unusually enthusiastic about this particular brand of salt. And a lot of people used it, the crystal sea marine mix and it effed up a bunch of tanks. Um, so yeah, we, we don't want to put Tropic Marin on blast. This is a challenging situation, but man, what they do and how they interface with the community. Oh my, it's crazy to think like you said, like target, you know, getting uh, hacked, they turn around and then they have some of the best security possible. And so Tropic Marin is going to, you know, turn around and boost consumer confidence um, with ICP tests and stuff for every batch uh, that could, you know, I'm sure they're going to take some losses this year or surrounding this particular episode, but down the road, oh my goodness, people might really flock to Tropic Marin salt mixes um, due to an increased confidence that their salt will never have this problem again. Yeah, it builds trust. And I've talked a lot or I've complained a lot on these podcasts about how it's I feel like a lot of manufacturers in the hobby get away with murder, literally, because they really, they really we're we're in the hobby of creating these life support systems in our homes, right? I mean, to our fish, like our home is Mars, right? And we're creating these life support systems to keep these fishing corals alive. And it's just some of the crap that gets peddled in this hobby and with horrible warranties, horrible support, uh, it just pisses me off. You know, like if you're in the business of selling stuff that people use to keep organisms alive, like you kind of have a, you have an increased level of accountability and, and responsibility. So I've complained about that, right, with other vendors and we don't need to go there. But so to see their response to me was actually like a, like the good thing, right? Like I, I have more trust in them for being mm -hmm. transparent. Um, you know, the first statement sounded like it was crafted by a PR specialist. And all they mentioned was, you know, a substandard optical clarity. <laughs> Just like, dude, nobody's complaining that the salt's not clear. They're complaining that the corals are dying, right? They mentioned that a few times. Substandard, no exacting uh, standards of optical clarity. The second one was definitely a lot more forthright. It felt more I don't genuine. Think um, try I, I don't think they've conclusively said that this is what's killing corals, right? They're more, no, they haven't said. Um, more explaining the brown crud in the bucket syndrome and they're like, well, you know, I mean, and to their point, how many people are using the salt without incident, right? Versus like, if you go on a forum, it's kind of tunnel vision of like the, like a certain set of people that are going to explain what happened to them. And again, I'm not trying to discredit their experience because that sucks. But if you're a manufacturer, you kind of, you always have to look at the big picture and go, well, Okay, what about all the other customers that are using this salt that are well? Okay, issues? say for example, you have a two hundred, three hundred gallon system, chock full of corals, and you you do ten percent water changes. You know those little spikes of iron and manganese, man, the corals are eating it up, mm -hmm. right? But if you have uh, 
you're doing a larger percentage of water changes, those spikes are, are no good. I'm not saying that we know that what it is, but like I said, I'm really looking forward to hopefully more um, transparency from Tropic Marin and we're not uh, putting them on blast. I think it's super important to mention that every manufacturer's um, larger manufacturer has had this issue. You know, you got to realize also some of these larger brands like Instant Ocean, 90% of that stuff is used in public aquariums with like sea mammals and stuff, <laughs> you know, so like they're not even going to register small problems, but some small batch manufacturers, my favorite, you know, salt that we use here, the studio is uh, accuracy one by two little fishies, never had any problems, but they're also not on the same level. They don't have multiple um, production facilities getting their, you know, ingredients for multiple sources and they have to check them all, you know, so can't really compare the small batch manufacturers to the big guys who you know ship more in a month than others do in a year yeah and it's no secret that this salt became extremely popular in the last couple of years right um so probably due to the problems that other companies were having and tropic marin was the safe one it was always the safe one yeah Cool. I think that's uh, that's enough on the salt. And uh, again, just to spotlight Reefstock Denver happening uh, here in just a, a month from recording, um, we want to talk about the special place that events have in the reef aquarium hobby and community. And I'd like to start off by asking Mark, what was the first event you ever went to? Oh, man. I think I showed it once. Um, was it 2000 or 2001? I forget, but it was uh, in Fort Lauderdale and it was Macna. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was just a wee lad. No, I was, uh, how old was I? I don't you know. I, fresh out of college. I was fresh out of college. And, how many people uh, were there? Not as many. I, I, I don't know, maybe a few hundred? Yeah. Like. A, a few hundred. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was interesting because the internet reef keeping world was sort of, I mean, there were forums, but it, it was just starting to take hold because I remember I was still- We hadn't on, even hit web 2.0 yet. Yeah. Um, so it was still very a magazine heavy and book heavy culture, right? So I knew all the authors and I knew all the- um, Did you bring any books to get signed on your no, first No, no. I, I did. Uh, That's how I met Julian. I think it was Mac in 2003. That was like top of my list as I had a f- stack of books. I think it was like Scott Michael, Julian Sprung, and maybe another one. And that was like, that was one of my goals is to get my books signed by the authors. No, I, ironically, I, I didn't think very far ahead because I was visiting my folks who were living in Florida and uh, they were north, uh, you know, a bit further north. But it, I, was, I convinced my uh, girlfriend, who is now my wife, I think it was her birthday, which is crazy that she was like, yeah, on her birthday, she was like, yeah, fine, we'll go to a reef uh, conference. But anyway, so I go there and... Um, it's just funny because it was such a small crowd, but the crowd was all of the people whose books and magazines I had read. So there was just like this, uh, I, I fully confess this, like st- like I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting just a lot of hobbyists chatting it up, mm-hmm. but it was like the majority of the audience, like I knew everybody's name. They didn't know who I was, right? I was just like a little punk kid. And so I remember uh, there was a talk from Julian Sprung. There was a talk from Walter 80. Mm-hmm. Uh, dynamic aquaria, algae turf scrubber guy. Um, there was a talk from Peter Wilkins, right? Like these are freaking legends in my, um, in my mind. And then 
where I was sitting, like these older guys sat down and I, I, back then you didn't know people's faces. Right. And the next thing you know, they all start talking with each other and it was Terry Siegel, I think Randy Donowitz, um, uh, Greg Schemer, uh, who passed away, rest in peace. He's, he, I really liked his articles a lot. Um, anyway, just those guys were all sitting in my row and I was looking at my, uh, girlfriend, like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) I no. <laughs> <laughs> usually um, just names and she's just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, and so I briefly talked to Terry because he ran Aquarium Frontiers and mm-hmm. he had actually featured my college aquarium in Aquarium Frontiers. And so I was like, hey, I'm the guy, you know, and uh, I didn't think he cared. But um, I briefly talked to Julian uh, about Gorgonians under intense metal halides, like closing up their polyps in the top portion, right? Mm. Because, again, at that phase of the hobby, that was, like, something I was observing. I was like, what is that, you know? And then I think the highlight was just meeting Peter Wilkins, who was the godfather to me of reef keeping. And he was actually the one who spent the most time just chatting it up with me. I think when he realized I was Dutch, um, and he he spoke Dutch, even though he was, I believe, from Switzerland. Um, but he, he was very fluent in Dutch. He just, as the minute he heard I was Dutch, he flipped the switch and started talking Dutch to me. He actually signed my Macna poster. Um, I, I'm not going to make everybody wait while I walk to my uh, <laughs> bookcase and get it. But that is the one. Hold on. I'm going to get it. Hold on. <laughs> All right. I guess I'm going to talk about it. Oh, my God. Look at him crushing. Um, my first aquarium event was a small frag swap in raleigh north carolina there it is yeah and then so yeah i did get a signature just not uh, a book signature that's a good one that's a really good one dude he's the man i was like (laughs) i can't believe i'm talking to peter wilkins um so i was just saying that my first event was in 2002 february 2002 i mean this for me this was like a watershed moment I went to a frag swap that was organized, I think his name, Shane Grable, um, at Fish Pros in Raleigh, North Carolina. I drove all of two hours to go there. It was fantastic. It was so amazing because I had been just reefing and keeping aquariums in my own little bubble. And I knew the local hobbyists, but we'd already shared all the frags with each other. Yeah. And uh, I think the store donated, first of all, Fish Bros is still open in Raleigh, North Carolina. I, I hope that they're as good as I remember. Um, but I think they donated like three large corals, corals, like, you know, an actual Fiji acro. There was three of them. And we took turns, maybe we took turns fragging them and we all took pieces home. Um, that was kind of cool. Um, but the best part was the real frag swapping afterwards. Cause we had brought some stuff that was common to us and everybody else brought stuff that was common to them. And I'll never forget this, man. I traded, I don't know. I don't remember what I traded away. I just remember what I got. And there was a couple of reefers who traded us some purple digitata. And when we got it home and under the tanks, I was like, that's Dilophora. Oh my God, I've never seen that before in my <laughs> life. Then all of a sudden I had like a hand, maybe not handfuls. I don't remember exactly how much it was, but it was more than, you know, tiny little bits. And I'd never seen it before outside of books. You know, everything was so uh, isolated you know, for sure. You know, I saw some pictures here and there online, but not necessarily in somebody's tank. And for somebody to trade us a lot and just saying it grew like digitata, it was just blew me away. So that's the thing I remember uh, the most. And it's just, 
it's so cool when that community aspect is really fostered to be able to compare notes, you know, what coral are you growing? Where are you keeping it at? This is before, you know, par meters were um, somewhat available, even though the cost is the same then as today. Um, and just really compare notes. And that's what, that was really cool. The frag swap, like an actual, everybody brought corals. I still remember this one guy, uh, his name was Ryan or Brian Edward. He was a little bit of a show off because he had brought like giant caps and all this stuff that was way bigger than everybody else's because he was hacking down his reef. You know, he was definitely a few steps ahead of um, the rest of the participants, but he ended up, you know, he just getting rid of them for whatever frags he could get. He was just, he wasn't trying to get the frags, but that's, that's the cool thing about the community. You're always going to have some reefers who are just really prolific and they're not necessarily looking for to payment and um, just up and coming reefers who brought their prize two or three little chips of this or that and they're so proud of it and just being able to trade and compare notes that's something that is a little bit lost in today's events but the sense of community is still the most important aspect of frag swaps you know small coral markets and full-blown conferences for sure yeah i I used to go to like a local club way back in the day and they would have really cool frag swaps and stuff, but it was, um, I don't know. They would always do it like in this crazy part of town that was way not worth the drive for me. So I, to be honest, I've been, I haven't really participated actively in that part for a long time, but the larger conferences, just every time I, I, I've been to one, they've just gotten better and better and bigger and bigger. Um, and don't get me wrong, it w- I would have loved to have, uh, knowing what I know now, going back, you know, 20 years to a magnet and experience it at that scale. But um, getting FaceTime with literally everyone, running out of new people to, to meet and talk to. Yeah. 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 It's, um, but, you know, I haven't, you've been, I think, I mean, obviously you go to multiple every year. I don't, right? I've been kind of selective about the ones I've gone to, but um but everyone that I've gone to, I've met new people, you know, and that's that's the cool part is that I, I've built my friendships up with people. And it's a hobby that you can enjoy with, you know, remote friendships very easily. I mean, we all live in the world of, you know, Facebook and, you know, being interacting more online with our friends sometimes than in person. And family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... It's just kind of cool because you, you meet people in person at these conferences, you, you know, you Facebook friend them or whatever, and now you're having conversations with them and your, your, you know, your hobby is just kind of that community flourishes, right? Even mm-hmm. if you're not always face to face with these people. So, um, yeah, I'm actually really excited about the Aquatic Expo. It's really obviously convenient for me because it's in my town, but, um, um, but even the one we went to, was it also in Fort Lauderdale? The one that you and I did. Um, I think it was Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida. Okay. Near Miami. They called it Miami Magnet, but it wasn't Miami. It was like at a Westin. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. nice, like right on the beach. Super yeah. fun. That, I, I like the ones in Florida because you're, you know, you get all jived up about corals and then you can just, because <laughs> even this one, right after the conference, I hopped in the car and I just went down to Marathon and went snorkeling with some giant parrotfish that were crunching on some fun. dead corals. And then- the one, the last one, I guess, what if you the, in Hollywood or wherever it was, I remember we all went in swimming at the beach and we found like a little puffer fish like cruising around in some floating sargassum and like it would only, 
you know, nobody else on the beach would care, but a bunch of reef <laughs> nerds were like, oh, hey, you know, <laughs> baby puffer fish. So a um, little spiny guy. So some, um, you know, so I went to my first Mac night in 2003. That was really cool. You know, I got to really cut my teeth on. Where um, was that? Uh, Louisville. Oh, like Kentucky, Louisville, yeah. Kentucky, They yeah. used to have like a rock and reef scene, didn't they? The Kentucky mm-hmm. folks? I think they had Magna there like twice, but like three or four years apart. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, but, and I, yeah, I spoke at IMAC back when that was the International Marine Conference, you know, um, kind of doing a slightly different flavor than Magna. Um, but for me, you know what, it was a really important uh, event was Rockford Fragfest. Almost no one outside of Indiana, Illinois, or Iowa will have ever heard of this show. Um, but they dude, these shows are everywhere. Actually, we need to kind of rewind. These shows are everywhere now. They're of different scales and caliber. Um, some of them are glorified coral markets with just the little uh, ancillary things tagged on. But uh, Rockford Fragfest was the first show I went to that was a show. It wasn't giant like IMAC or Macna. Um, and I met so many people at uh, in Rockford um, that I still know today. You know, Rod Bueller of uh, Rod's Reef. Oh, yeah. Um, Bill of Eye Catching Corals. Sorry, Eye Candy Corals. Um, and a few others I know I first met out there in the Midwest. And But that show was really important um, because Rob Topping was the guy organizing it. And he had no, – no one had any idea what they were we're doing right because we weren't or event organizers, but seeing Rob put on Rawford Fragfest a handful of years, um, I think I might have been the only speaker uh, at <laughs> the first one or the second one or both. I don't remember, um, but it really emboldened me to organize restock. Not that it was easy, but I saw what was involved. I'm like, I can put together a small reef aquarium party in Denver. And so in 2008, I put uh, reef stock on for the first time. Dude, I was like destitute poor. I had no business doing this. I just, um, a friend of mine, actually a local owner of Aquamart, a retail store, he was in the um, hotel business, I think, at the time. And he helped me get started with the first venue. It was the terrible venue. It was an awful, awful spot. No one would ever do it. But it was a really posh hotel, downtown Denver. And I was hoping for like 100 people to show up. 200 people came. I was like, you know, floored. But I didn't manage my finances. You know, I owed the hotel so much money and I told them, um, yeah, I have zero dollars. And they're like, all right, well, if you can just come up with $500, we'll just wipe this, (laughs) wipe this bill clean. And I never expected to do it again, ever, ever. And I think it was the following year, a month, one month before the same kind of date on a whim, I called up the downtown aquarium here in Denver and asked if they had a room. They had a room. It was the downtown aquarium. They could offer seawater. It was a good price. So I organized the second reef stock uh, in 2009 in 30 days. Nice. And it was always focused on the local community. It was always about the local scene, the local stores, the local coral farmers. And for the first three years, we people didn't know how to travel with corals. They didn't know how to set up a tank on a dime. So I leaned on the Southern Colorado Marine Aquarium Society to set up these um, kind of long acrylic tanks with lights and everything. That it was halides, right? No, no blue lighting. 
and we rented sections out for coral farmers to bring their corals because that's how hard it was to do it back then. Wow. Yeah, just just uh, thinking back on that um, is uh, yeah, definitely a trip down memory lane. But definitely, you know, another event that was really powerful for me was the first time I went to Reef Palooza, California. I want to say that was 2007. Man, I met so many, I met all the California guys. And that that event in California just has such a pl- special place for me because for a long time, like I was the epicenter oh, yeah. of the reef aquarium world in the United States. I would say now we have several, uh, you know, hubs uh, and hotspots of uh, coral, um, commercial coral action. Um, but that one is always just super nice to, to go back to. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the the first kind of coral farmer guy I met was in Colorado with Steve Chang, uh, who you mm-hmm. remember. Um, you know, I'd just been buying coral locally at local fish stores. And then you hear about this guy who like he's growing coral in some back alley off of Colfax. And I was like, you know, and and it was like, you know, I became really good friends with him. And I don't think he's in the hobby anymore, sadly. But the reason he had all this crazy cool stuff was because he had this amazing West Coast connection as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was sort of opened my eyes o- up to like the West Coast. And, you know, and then I learned about like folks like Steve Tyree and all that. But that's sort of, I guess, not related to conferences, but it's still a bucket list for me. Just I, I've, I've been to California lots for work, but uh, I've never gone and just you know, like figured out a way to maybe visit some wholesalers and like, you know, attend like a local event or something like that. So one day I'll do that just because to me, like back in the day, back in the early 2000s, like that was like one of the hotbeds for like SPS and all that stuff, right? Like those guys. So, um, but yeah, um, that must have been a cool experience to go out there and, and like get a taste of that scene. Oh, absolutely. But back to your point of how much the shows have changed, you know, now they are so much more well-rounded. Yeah. You know, it's not just a bunch of people getting together. Goodness, man, I remember seeing frags and fish. Yeah, because uh, Rod of Rod's Reef, he's one of the first breeders of Onyx. I was going to go there, yeah. Like, that's how I knew of him first was he was a clownfish breeder. (laughs) He had clownfish pre-bagged in Ziploc bags in coolers and uh, the corals were in coolers and he had pictures on the table of what they were supposed to look like, <laughs> you know, because we just, we just didn't have this mindset. Oh, set up a tank, you know, set a tank up on the spot. But you know, now it's not just getting together. It's a, uh, you know, a lot of professional coral dealers, um, manufacturers have been participating. I mean, now it's just, that's just locked in where you can see a lot of new gear, Mm-hmm. And I freaking love that. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can see gear that's not even necessarily on the table and find out about stuff that's going to be coming out. You can ask, you know, specific kind of pointed questions about why did they do this instead of that. And, uh, man, there's a lot of things that manufacturers have to streamline about the production of a product that doesn't necessarily make sense to the hobbyist. But you won't know that um, unless you have some FaceTime in real life uh, with the people at the booth. And another thing to mention, you know, a good two-day, three-day uh, reef aquarium event, um, you want to stay at the venue. You really want to stay at the venue because after hours, you don't at the bar. Man, us reefers and aquarists in general, um, you know, we drink like fishes. And you just never know how much people are going to loosen up, talk about their experiences, tell you stories of going diving, this or that. And, um 
Yeah. Af- after the show ends for me is almost when the show begins. You know, that is sometimes, not all time, not all the ways, but sometimes it can really um, be a late one until uh, two or three or four in the morning. And you know who's a champion? You know who's one of the people who's always last standing? Who? Sanjay. <laughs> Sanjay will shut it down <laughs> at most events. It's really, uh, I don't want to say funny. I'm not laughing at him, but it's just awesome that, you know, a college professor like Sanjay is just so relatable. Um, one of the last ones. But one of my favorite shows for for gear and meeting people from all over the world is the Interzoo. And I know you've been because you came with me. That was a really, really cool experience. That's like um, every pet product on the planet i mean holy crap inner zoo is big um i had like interzoo like every cramps, two years and i'm a runner you know <laughs> just so much walking interzoo is every two years and imagine all the domestic coral events in one place times 10 minus livestock <laughs> minus the livestock so not too many live displays um but yeah, if you, I mean, it's just crazy. It's, uh, you know, if anybody follows like kind of tech news and CES, there's always like these content products that are um, you know, put out there just kind of gauge uh, the feedback from the public. And so Interzoo is one of those places where you can see some crazy, crazy concept ideas. Um, you know, that's where I first got the bug for automatic filter rolls, seeing them at pawn booths in 2010. And it was David Saxby who asked me, hey, did you see anything cool? And I took him over to this booth. I think it was called, the company's called Genesis. They focus on ponds. Two years later, D&D had a flat pack version of that automatic filter roll made for them by Genesis. It was $1,000. It worked on gravity. As the water is kind of flowing down, it would turn a wheel. And, you know, you can imagine all the problems. And, like, here we are 12 years later, how much more refined. And automatic filter rolls still haven't really had their moment. You know, it's still kind of a niche thing for very adventurous reefers. But you get to see a glimpse of the future there. Yeah, we Um, saw the uh, gyre prototype. I remember it was made out of, like, a clear plastic. and, mm -hmm. uh, And I think it was called hydro thruster or riptide or something like that yeah yeah yeah, it's called something weird but yeah i I saw it and i was just like yep that's that's the future that is freaking awesome but it's also super cool to just you know get to know the companies behind red sea and they have reps for like every big uh, territory so if you talk to those reps they can tell you what's you know uh big in those particular countries um ccam always has a huge presence um, you know, all those German companies that you don't really hear about here in America, Dupla still very big, you know, handling a lot more of the freshwater stuff. Um, God, I'm a little bit rusty because I've been to reef shows like I used to in over the last two years. Um, so yeah, I think, super- the thing that I, I've found funny about Interzoo is because, you know, we're, we're running around trying to write up about new products that we see. But you start to get to know like, oh, the guys that run this booth have a coffee machine and they have really good mm. coffee. And these guys, they have like beer, you know? So when you're all uh-huh. set, then just make a quick pit stop and they'll happily pour you a beer. Belgian. The yeah. Belgian booths. Like, so Ocean Nutrition EU is based in Belgium and they had Belgian beer and it was like so good. I mean, they literally have taps in the booth. The French would have, you know, really great, like kind of finger food and pate and things like, you know, if you're into that, the Italians always had like espresso machines and, you know, good chocolates. And we're getting a little bit off topic, but 
events like Interzoo and some of the private ones, you know, like Global Pet Expo um, and Backer. I'm not sure if that's still going on, but that's a great place to, to plug into the professional, commercial side of uh, the pet industry overall. Um, so if there's any stores you know, or store employees or owners listening, you know, that's a great place to uh, network within the national scene. Yeah. Going back to your Sanjay, and I won't mention <laughs> names, but I remember the Atlanta Magna. Um, at this point, like you, you had um, really grown reef builders and like people knew who you were and, you know, all that stuff. So um, I remember going to the the conference and um, next thing you know, we were up in like somebody's hotel room and like all of these people who's, who I highly respect in the reef keeping hobby for their contributions were doing like Guitar Hero and like yep. they were like wearing wigs and playing music and like there was like a fake drum set and I was like, this is this is hilarious, you know. Like it was, this is one for the people for the were having a lot of fun, um, and and to me, that's that's part of that community, right? Like that, that I really um, admired that. I guess from from like just how long these some of these guys have known each other too, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I I it, the other thing is like a topic that maybe one day we'll talk about is just you know when you get like reef keeping um when you get tired of the hobby or kind of fatigued and you you kind of lose interest sometimes maybe it's summertime or whatever the seasonality of it too you know but it's funny if you're ever in one of those situations and you go to one of these conferences i mean you come out of it so wired for the hobby that you're Dude, comparing notes on specific corals or how is that product working for you? How are it, do you have it installed? Like, we just can't emphasize like how much these events really need to stress the community aspect. You know, one thing that I do miss is the smaller scale, um, like club events. That, you know, before these shows kind of took over everything, these smaller scale club events, they'd bring in one or two speakers. That weekend, the entire club was wired to the topic of the speaker, whether it was food or coral fragging or does, you know, coral pests and parasites. Or when I would come into town, it'd be water flow, water flow, <laughs> flow is more important than water. And doing uh, store tours, going to see a couple of different oh, stores yeah. and seeing what they do and doing a couple local tank tours. And sometimes it might be like, you know, up and coming coral farmer, but just, yeah, comparing notes, like you're totally right. It just, it just wires you up to, um, out of the, the same old routine with your local scene where you've already shared frag with everybody. You probably are all using very similar equipment, very similar techniques. I guarantee, you know, Germans come over here or we go over there or, or Netherlands. Um, you will see. The same corals looking completely different, totally different scape, totally different equipment, totally different results. You're still growing. You're still colorful. But, the, you know, even like now with everybody using LEDs, they might be running a spectrum um, that's more typical of that region versus us. And just like together, that's the, the super exciting part. You know, a coral is a chameleon depending on how you keep it, especially corals like fish. Yeah, whatever. We know we don't fish husbandry. If you got it healthy, it just looks like the picture, right? Like yeah. The one you see in the wild. But corals are just so plastic. They're so um, flexible. And that's like super exciting. Like how many times have you, you know, you and me personally, uh, grown a coral for a while and it's like, yeah, it's okay. It's cool. I know what it is. And then you see it in somebody's tank and you're like, 
oh my god i had <laughs> no idea that's what it could do yeah it's always the worst when your buddy can grow up better than you <laughs> you know not the it's worst the but best, it's it's actually uh, it's the best yeah it's it's frustrating sometimes you know but um yeah no it's and and part of that is again we're all so isolated i mean i won't even bring up covid but just in general everything's gone online and it's less about uh, well okay let me preface this at least my personal experience it's less about hanging out at somebody else's house and checking out their reef tank for me i think there's a lot of hobbyists like me that don't do that a whole lot right like we don't go barge into other people's houses and hang out and drink beer and like look at their reef tank it used to be like that but there's just a lot less of that going on but I get a taste of that when I go to these conferences and I'm talking and I see corals that I've seen pictures of online all the time, you know, but maybe I don't see them often in my local fish store. And I'm like, oh, now I get why there's so much hype about this coral because I finally got to see this rare coral in person and I, I see it with my own eyes. I don't see like that, you know, image on a screen that doesn't do it justice. And so it's just, well, yeah. We can wax poetic about how things should be. But I think it's easy to say that for the vast majority of people, these coral events are all about the coral market. Oh, for right? sure. Yeah. And you get to see all kinds of different corals. You get to see the same coral in a bunch of different tanks. And so it's a little bit of a stopgap to talking to just a pure hobbyist about how they do this and that. Um, but, you know, seeing, let's just say, UFO Micromusa, which I saw in a ton of booths um, a year or so ago, and, you know, the prices were kind of ridiculous. But that's another thing. You see these hype corals that are rare and expensive. And then you go to a reef show. And depending on the event, you might see that same coral in like a dozen booths. And they all want too much money for it. And then, you know, it was like, oh, okay. In a year or two, this is going to be a premium frag, not a yeah. limited edition, you know, uh, rich, rich kind of frag. Um, but I love... You know, when people bring wild corals too, because I'm always into those oddballs. I, I don't know how many reef shows I've gone to. I'm like, I'm not going to buy anything. There is nothing that could make me pull out my wallet. And then if I find one coral and I know I'm bringing them back one coral, then I'm going through the motions of packing it up and checking it in and getting it home one way or another. <laughs> and one coral snowball into 12, you know, and then like I will buy corals. I already have sometimes because I have a bunch of tanks and I want them in different tanks. You know, so if the price is right, I'm like, oh, I'll invest in more Bizarro Cyphastria. Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> well, and as the, as the conference draws to a close, a lot of these vendors, you're you're sort of doing them a favor by buying the coral and they don't have to, you know, lug it back. So pro tip, yeah. make sure to hang around till the end. Exactly. To get those deals. Yeah. Usually you can get some good deals on stuff because they, yeah, they don't want to have to bag it all up and take it all back. If they can, you know, get an agreeable price out of you, they're, they're more than happy. I mean, I even had it where one, uh, you know, it's one, some of these vendors that set up like a display tank, they don't want to deal with all that livestock. And, you know, it was, um, I, the one in Atlanta, I just happened to be local. So I didn't have to ship anything. And the vendor was like, Hey, do you want these fish? <laughs> you know, I don't want to. Uh, do you want this lightly used aquarium? Yeah, like we don't want to deal with to, this anymore. <laughs> anything to lighten their their load. This is a pro tip for people who go to reef shows or are planning to go. You really want to be there later Sunday because it will rain 
and, and sometimes free stuff. And I used when I was younger and I didn't have as many tanks, I would like my book my flight to be hours after the show ended so I could loiter around and like, you know, like, uh, you know, harvest all the swag that might uh, be available. Um, but also with the corals, um, another tip uh, for the for the young ones is these corals, they don't have fixed cost. The wild corals, maybe they have fixed cost, but the corals that are grown, they're like produce. Right. Depending on the, the season and the demand, as soon as the people start thinning out at the end of Sunday um, or even at the beginning of the, of the day, ask them, you know, how much is that coral? And then ask them, you know, how much for two or how much if I get three? You know, there is no fixed price attached to most of these corals. There is not. God, I can't even think of. I mean, obviously, I get treated a little bit differently, but I can't think of any coral dealer that won't at least entertain a basic 10% discount if you buy two or more. Like you can get 10% off usually if you buy two or more and cash. If you bring cash, you are going to get a better deal and a little bit more negotiation power. Um, God, I'm getting so excited for reef stock. <laughs> Just I, talking about reef shows now. I guess the one thing we haven't talked about is, I mean, mad props to the folks that do have um, the vendors and the exhibitors, right? Because I, man, um, I think it was the, the the Florida conference that you guys, that you and I both were at where we got to, I got through you kind of a sneak peek of everybody doing the work to set up their booths and fascinating i mean do you know how much work it is to set up a reef tank for like a you know three two to three day conference you know and make I it do. look good i actually do <laughs> right you can. i guess it was more of a rhetorical question right but the amount of effort that these people put into lugging this stuff you know they've got stuff coming out of trailers sourcing salt water setting things up dude it's so much, uh, so much kudos to the these folks that put on a good show, right? And and have have a good booth and a good exhibit to enjoy. I mean, and and, and it's to me, miraculous. It's like, yeah, right. If you rewound the clock and told people 15, 20 years ago that we would have these events and people would bring corals and set up an instant tank that looked actually good right? You would say, no, you can't do that. You have to cycle a tank. This is, so going to a bunch of reef shows was part of what planted the idea in my mind that, yeah, you can set up a reef tank in one day and put corals mm -hmm. in it day one. Sure, those tanks that they set up, if there's too many fish that need to be fed a lot, you know, the, they're not balanced yet, but you can see some of these tanks, like especially over a longer show like Macna, you know, they're set up on Thursday and they'll go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and end of Sunday, they could still be clear and all the polyps out and everything's fine. You know, if anything was going to build up ammonia wise, you'd think it happened by day two or three, yeah. you know, so going to all these shows is one of the things that really inspired me as like, you know what, I think I could set up one of these tanks and just kind of keep it going. And now that's just kind of a regular operating procedure for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I think we hit it already, but um, if you don't have access to kind of sample a lot of hardware, you know, you can get your hands and touch and tactile feel and really get a, and, and see different lighting in person and be like, mm, you know what? I never considered that light before, but I really like the way that looks, you know, or I really like or the, the mounting that control them or yeah. Exactly. If you were at uh, Kessel, AI, Ecotech Marine, or other booth, ask them to hold their phone. Ask them to, you know, control the app and you get a feel for what you can do with it in a way that just uh, videos won't really convey nearly as much. Yeah. 
Another thing that's cool about the coral market is um, you could just, just use your eyes, not uh, you know, an orange filter taken under blue lighting, um, and just uh, something that's been really doctored to look a certain way online. You, you, I mean, we've all been there, right? If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably almost certainly made some online purchases and the coral arrives and it's like technically looks like the coral you bought, but it looks more like the ugly step cousin of the coral you bought. Like it's like, all right, technically this is the coral I bought, but it doesn't look like that picture at all. So when you get to see stuff in real life, even if it's under really blue light, I always ask, um, you know, can you make it a little bit wider if I'm taking a photograph or I bring my own flashlights multiple, you know, cause I have some blue flashlights and white flashlights to really get a feel for it. But that's, you know, kind of next level stuff. And obviously pro tip is bring some coolers so you can pack up the corals and just, you know, wander around. Man, there's some people who are super serious about it, man. They walk around the shows with a rolling cooler, <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> they are prepared, like just really ready to hit the ground running. And the, the other thing I want to say is that people want to flock to be the first one to get first dibs. And I'll tell you what, man, all the corals I want are always left over. <laughs> left over at the end of Sunday. I'm okay. You know, there's very few corals that I'm, I'm really hot for that other folks will really take a look at. A great um, example is like, uh, I will all, almost always buy uh, you know, purple bullseye shrooms, you know, purple rhodactus. Everyone's going crazy for bullseyes and rainbows, or sorry, bounces and rainbows. And I'm just like, oh man, that's, that's the bounce before the bounce was around and i remember this one event i think it was last year this guy had purple bullseyes rhodactus um with a little bit of a green scurry around the edge he wanted 20 dollars a polyp he hadn't sold one the entire show so i bought three for the price of two i think he wanted 20 bucks a head a polyp because all those glow in the dark tanks the windex tanks you know you you don't get you they wouldn't look good under a, a Windex light, right? So no, no, I have some right now in my little shroom room tank. They're black, yeah, <laughs> because I, I made it really dim. Obviously, I want to warm up the spectrum over that tank. Yeah, but most important is that they're not getting too much light, and all the shrooms look good. Um, but yeah, under the blue light, they're they disappear. They're just as dark as the bottom. Yeah, so people with their orange glasses walk right by them. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. So that's another thing, man. If you have an eye out for something different, anything blue, purple, um, non-fluorescent pink um, is just going to get looked over pretty easily. So um, it's nice to spend a couple of days, you know, especially if you um, don't have that much experience looking at stuff. First day, you take it all in. Second day, you know what you really, really want. And I have a simple rule um, on whether or not to buy a coral. If I consider it three times, done right? Consider it once. Yeah. Okay. It's twice. Maybe if I really, if I ask myself like three times, do I want this animal? Of course I want it. And then it's just a matter of price and being able to take care of it. Yeah. I mean, going back to the speakers real quick, even if the topic looks somewhat like, yeah, I, I know about that. Right. I've been so pleasantly surprised sometimes going into a speaker and they have a topic and I feel like it's um, repetitive for me. And yet they say something that kind of makes me think uh, a new thought or um, or they reinforce something that I sort of stopped thinking about or forgot about. Like, you know what? Mm -hmm. That's true. Like, why don't I do that anymore? You know? So I don't know. I get a lot of kick out of the talks. Um, so I, I, 
you know, you'll see me always try to attend as many of those as I can, just because I, I, I love hearing unique experiences, right? And I like seeing kind of the evolution of, of, of the hobby from other people's perspectives of what they're experiencing and what they consider kind of gospel from their brain, right? Like, oh, we should all, you know, if they feel like it's important enough to say it on the stage, right? Absolutely. Then you're like, all right, well, maybe there's something there. So, um, real talk. Speakers, uh, speaker presentations are a great place to get some shut eye for like 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> um, just because, you know, if you're at a show for a full day or like three days, I'm not saying go to the speakers to take a little nap or something, but, you know, I feel like anything over 30 minutes is turning into a lecture and there is no topic on which I'm going to be wrapped for yeah. more than 45 minutes. So when they go on and on, it's like, you know what? I'm getting a little bit shut eye. And just, you know, if, if I have a hotel room at the venue, I will usually carve out an hour <laughs> to just go to my hotel room early afternoon around lunchtime, just go take a nap and then come back at it. You know, cause if you, if I don't do that, especially over a long, intense event. I don't have the, the same luxury at Interzoo. Interzoo is like go time, oh uh, you know, yeah. uh, really pound on the pavement. But that really helps me to uh, rally in the, the wee hours of the evening. But yeah, I think you're super right about the speakers. Um, as a speaker myself, I, I wish this had a more important place in all reef aquarium events. Of course, smaller frag swaps are not intended to have uh, presentations by speakers. It's all about the coral, you know, farmer's market. And that's totally fine. But if you're going to have speakers, man, have speakers, like have them for real, um, you know, make them feel good, take care of them and pay them so that they'll give you, uh, you know, a $500 talk instead of a $200 talk. You know, there's a lot of us that can on the spot, just talk for an hour and it seems like a presentation. But when it's a little bit more structured, I think Magnus probably still the best at this. Um, you know, people work on their talks for a long time and, uh, not surprisingly, some of the best talks I've ever seen were by people who had never presented before because, you know, they did their homework, they put effort into their presentation, their slides. Um, if you give a talk nowadays and you don't have one video clip, you just need to get off the stage. Like you gotta have some video clips. It's too easy to include one in your talk. But like you said, sometimes going to one hour talk to hear something they touched on for 15 seconds to 60 seconds, man, it could really um, bring attention to certain important aspects of the aquarium hobby. And the best thing about, you know, uh, we can see a lot of these presentations, especially the Magna ones recorded online. But if you see them in real life and you have a specific question, you just can't even like put a, a, a dollar value on what it's like to walk up to that speaker afterwards and get some clarification, get some elaboration. And it's just, ah, that's part of the learning yeah, process <laughs> that we absolutely, absolutely love. And yes, if you have some books, um, you may able, uh, and that speaker is there, that author is there for sure. You'll get them signed. They'll be tickled to, to autograph something for you, uh, in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you two good examples, right? Uh, at this conference, Julian did like a thing on interesting aquariums. I forget what the topic was, but um, one thing I vividly remember is he showed a picture of an aquarium with one staghorn in a, like a mm. cute tank. And then mm -hmm. with some, whether, I don't know if it was Chromis or Damsels, this was 22 years ago. But I mean, this was before anybody, I mean, this is 22 years ago, you know, everybody's talking NSA now, um, and negative space aquascaping or whatever. 
he was presenting that as a example, you know, in 2000 and that, that one picture, and then he went to the next slide, got my brain going, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Walter 80 in his talks about algae had a 15 second moment where he talked about where they, um, excluded herbivores from a patch of reef, right? And then just watched what happened for X amount of days and the whole thing got covered in algae. And that stuck with me to this day that I don't attack algae with phosphate removers and nutrient limitation. I'm like, no, I just get more things that eat algae because if, if, you know, like if on a real reef, on a real coral reef, the same thing happens without herbivores, then, you know, a successful ecosystem in my tank would probably mimic that. And, and, you know, as much as uh, algae likes those nutrients, I mean, you're talking about dosing potassium nitrate, corals like it too, right? So, mm-hmm. again, it, he talked at length about all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, he was an interesting character guy. Um, but that 15 seconds solidified one thing, you know? That talk can was really shape your reef aquarium philosophy. Yeah, and you know, like like everybody says, there's a lot of ways to um, to reef, um, but getting uh, really uh, focused on a few basic principles, like you were saying, herbivory versus managing nutrients. Um, that's probably shaped your entire reef aquarium husbandry yep. uh, procedures the last twenty years. Yeah, from one talk, you know, from from one tidbit of a talk. <laughs> So, so yeah, I, I want to see more reef aquarium events and I want um, all the organizers to really put more focus and emphasis on the community aspect. Take us to some tank tours. Let's go see some of the nicer stores in your area. Um, if you have a small public aquarium and with a reef tank, let's go for it. Um, that is absolutely one of the funnest parts of reefing. So um, definitely want to remind people that uh, Mark and I will both be speaking at Aquatic Expo. I don't know how His you got town. me to do that, man. <laughs> in uh two months yeah but in a month uh reefstock denver will be having here in colorado go to reefstock.show for more information about that and uh you know if you've never been oh my goodness i envy you i envy you a little bit bring some water bring some good walking shoes leave the orange glasses behind bring a cooler and bring cash and uh, don't buy the first coral you fall in love with you know, go check out some other booths, do a little bit of price shopping, um, make sure it's a good deal. And it's really the coral that you're going to be happy spending money on. So um, if anyone listening uh, on YouTube has any particular comments or any experiences they want to share regarding their um, aquarium event going, uh, man, we'd love to hear. I love um, a good story. Yeah. Share yeah, some good stories. Let's hear some of your, your reef aquarium event stories, you know. Let's 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 write a paragraph for us. I'm gonna I wanna get sucked into uh the moment and the setting and uh what it was about. And I uh, just want to thank everybody for the supporting reef therapy to the point that Mark and I have made it. Jake and Mark are talking at uh, Aquatic Expo. It's going to be super fun, especially the freshwater saltwater crossovers. Oh, I'm man. working on a few yeah. freshwater tanks right now, which is just more novel to me because I don't even know how many reef tanks I've set up. Um, so really looking forward to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Looking and I'm seeing everybody at Reefstock here in Denver. And Mark, you want to close us out? Sure, yeah. And I'm I'm hoping this podcast is timely versus untimely, right? Like I'm kind of hopeful that um, the whole COVID thing is, you know, like we're on the tail end of it, you know, like a, mm-hmm. there's good news about Omicron, but now they're talking about Omicron version two. And uh, anyway, Stealth. yeah, I just, um, 
You know, I, I think these shows are so important and I'm just really hopeful that, like this is a great year for all kinds of um, hobby uh, club get togethers and um, hobby related conferences. And I hope like what we're talking about is a perfect fit for 2022. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, Mark. Thanks for joining me on this very important session of Reef Therapy. And we'll catch you guys on another one very soon. Yep. We'll talk more next week. All right. Bye, everyone.